Welcome to Ancient Answers, where we discuss modern issues and reflect on the wisdom of the ancients. My name is Gordon. And I'm Shane. And we're here to talk to you talk to you today about an interesting ancient topic that you don't think about. It's not a glamorous one. Definitely not glamorous. <laughs> but it's an interesting one. And that is sanitation. <laughs> now, I, I tried to look up the quote from somebody of more modern time that it said that the greatest achievement of human history was fresh water, like running water, mm -hmm. where you could rely on turning a tap and drink the water yeah. and not worry that you're going to die of some you know, parasite, parasite or, or disease and bacteria. I mean, really, if you think about how the people in all times in history until really the invention of uh, sanitation system. Now, we've got this idea and I'm aware of, you know, people and friends and family that uh, recently in the last week while we were preparing this, I, I would bring up the topic of sanitation. Yeah. And everybody has the idea that People lived in absolute filth all during history and only some sort of recent enlightenment in the last hundred and so years or 150 years, you know, we're now have fresh water at, uh, at our taps. Yeah. But not quite. No. I, it's not. I mean, it's a more subtle story. I would agree that during places like the medieval time, there were certainly areas of the world where we know there was problems, but the actual real problems were much more recent, mm -hmm. where the recognition of, of waterborne diseases became part of the scientific uh, observation. But I would like to wind the clock back and start this episode by going back mm -hmm. to about 2500 BC. All right. In the fact that in places in like Sumeria, now current Iraq, and Akkar, which is sort of the northern Iraq area, uh, which formed the, uh, the the Mesopotamian heartland, mm -hmm. where agriculture was one of the first areas, if not the first area, to 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 grow and to be part of the human experience. We find remarkable for the time water construction projects to divert rivers and water and create cisterns and water beds. And keeping water, at least the recognition was that stagnant water caused problems. We didn't expect them to understand germ theory. That wouldn't happen until no. the invention of microscopes. But they could make a correlation. Certainly, Sumerians did. They made a correlation between fresh water and the, the fact that it has to flow down. The rivers have to kind of feed any water system. And that if you kept the water moving then you tend to have less outbreaks and i think i think that the of disease yeah and I, I think that the most important thing you said there was the moving water i mean it's it's easy enough to you know dig a big hole as sort of a a, a cistern or water storage that's area. right but like you said if it just sits there and stagnates that's a breeding ground for bacteria and whatever else might happen to collect in it but they figured out and at a very 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 early time that if the water was continuously moving, if there was continuous changeover and flow, that that wouldn't happen as much. I mean, yeah, they, yeah, they yeah have of course, outbreaks, it would still, yes. but yeah, it did, and 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 uh, we are certainly aware that uh, in ancient China, sanitation, even as early as the Zhao sort of dynasty time, which would be as around the year fourteen hundred BC, that they had 
develop and we're developing water movement systems. Mm -hmm. Now, irrigation, both there and in Mesopotamia and also in Egypt, would be paramount as well for the movement of water. Yeah. So the two go together. And yeah, in fact, the fact that they do go together is you know, one of those absolutely vital sparks of civilization. The well, if you're of already moving water, especially when you're looking at places like Egypt and Mesopotamia, which are very arid landscapes and, and mm -hmm. desert countries, That's right. um, the ability to move water for the production of crops is paramount. It's integral to the survival of your civilization. So when you're already moving vast volumes of water in order to irrigate your crops and water your fields, it's a very small, small step to move that towards like waste disposal and sanitation and cleanliness. That's right. And, and, and one of the side results of that kind of human organization to create these water channels and, and, and movement channels is you need a hierarchy. Yep. You need to start creating the initial human civilization hierarchies of leaders and those that supply physical labor. Mm -hmm. And you start the vestiges of engineering. Yeah. And skilled, skilled trace people who understand uh, at the time their scientific understanding of how to make it work, how to yeah. build, how to use the materials to channel water and stuff like that. Yeah, it takes a lot of community cooperation. It takes a lot of organization. That's and, right. And if we look at um, you know, sort of uh, on a more modern landscape, if we're looking at modern cities, the infrastructure is what you're starting with. You're starting with the sewer system. Essentially, That's right. You know, it's it's the basis for any kind of city, any kind of uh, community civilization, and there's this misconception that that's a very modern idea. It's not. It's thousands of years old. <laughs> well, actually, you're leading a point. We're, we would like to do an episode shortly about construction mm -hmm. engineering principles that yeah. we're using in today's There's going to be a lot of crossover. <laughs> there will be a crossover, but you can't have one without the other, and then you say, which one comes first? Well, it would actually, in some ways, be sanitation, because... Yeah. It, it generally speaking, it had to be built into the ground mm -hmm. uh, for gravity flow and stuff like that. Uh, but also the fact is that there was much more knowledge about sanitation principles than we give the ancients credit. Yeah. Uh, like you said, they, they was, there were schools of engineering set up in, in, in pre-dynastic China. There was actually schools of education that were set up. We all know about ancient Greece. Mm -hmm. But... The, one of the things the Romans, and you know, we come back to Romans so much, we understand it's because they, we have so many of the records still survive, we can analyze it. But I'm going to take a, a society that is an interesting one that caught me by surprise. Uh, we don't even know what their name is, but it's uh, located in Nigeria today, and, and that sort of uh, coast of Africa, a society that uh, actually engaged in some significant waterworks to uh, direct the flow of the rivers, the Niger River in particular, so that there would be extensive watering of crops and that allowed cities to grow up. Now, we don't have a lot of the historical record. We, we don't even read the writing. Yeah. But we know from recent archaeological digs that this is a lot more extensive than we realized. Hmm. And these were constructed certainly around the time that the Roman Empire existed, okay. uh, up to you know four or 500 AD. So it shows you that the diversity of sanitation projects go everywhere. We know that even in Mesoamerica, now it tends to come a little later than the ancient period. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, up to the year 1000 AD, uh, you know, the Mayans, that was after their collapse, but 
the Mayans had obviously built some extensive water treatment and water transportation systems that tended to be used for sanitation. Mm -hmm. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna again greet a shift to the uh, to Romans because if there was anything the Romans we know this from the historical record. They would like to brag about. Yes. This is actually surprising me how many times the Romans would despair of the barbarians <laughs> because they don't have sanitation. Yeah. Well, they don't have Roman sanitation. It wasn't mm. exactly true. Uh, the Germanic tribes and the Britannic tribes and stuff like that had some forms of, of rudimentary sanitation systems. Yeah. Based they knew enough to dig the hole outside of the, the village. Yeah. Um, but the Romans excelled it because they were not the first, though, to build aqueducts. No. But they were champions oh, when it came to building aqueducts. Astonishing projects of engineering. I remember one, one of my professors in university actually um, uh, talked about it, that in, uh, in academic circles, the Roman aqueduct system is seen by some to be a greater feat of engineering than the pyramids of Giza. Probably took more, I don't know if it would take more manners. That would be an interesting study yeah. to estimate. Uh, I mean, Roman roads, not that oh. that has to do with you know, sanitation, but you know, Romans were always keeping busy. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, Rome, uh, I, I, in the one article I read here about Roman aqueduct systems, uh, this was interesting actually from National Geographic, aqueducts quenching Rome's thirst was the title of the article. Uh, but Rome was supplied by over 500 kilometers of aqueduct. Oh, I thought it was around 300. I'm going to have to change my question. Well, this, this was 300, it's 315 miles, so about 500 wow. kilometers or so. So the city, the city of Rome had, had 500 kilometers of aqueducts. And one thing that's a, a commonly misunderstood is that when a lot of people think of Roman aqueducts, they think of the, you know, the, the magnificent archways that are some, like there's one in France that's used as a highway now that still exists from the time that the Romans built it. Uh, a lot of people think of that as the Roman aqueduct system, but what they don't realize is that the majority of it was actually underground. The, the majority yeah. of the aqueducts were, were uh, horizontal shafts with very gentle slopes for the water to flow. Um, so with, along with this stat here, uh, Rome was supplied by 500 kilometers of aqueduct, of which 430 kilometers was underground. Ah, okay. <laughs> I, I have lived in Rome, and I would go by in the bus, and I would see bits and pieces of an aqueduct, and I was yeah. amazed. I mean, I was just like in awe thinking of that. That's interesting because yeah. yeah, they would come down from the uh, the hills to the south. Yeah, the, in many cases. The only times that they really went with those big vaulted archways and those those very impressive feats of engineering uh, was when they had absolutely no other choice. There was no. They wanted to show off. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> on. let's be honest. They did. They they were very proud of their aqueduct system. That's right. They wanted I actually. I found foreign a, visitors to sit in on. Look what we can do. Well, build. I found I found a quote uh, that I'll I'll share towards the end of this on that subject, but. Uh, there, there was one case where, um, uh, in the article that I read, where they could have gone through a one-kilometer stretch, but because it was such a drastic drop in a valley, it was actually easier to go seven kilometers around out of their way oh, wow. than okay. to build that massive vaulted archway aqueduct Interesting. system. Interesting. Right? Well, that means that so, they have... A sophisticated engineering minds of their time that could make yeah. those calculations. Well, and that's and the thing, right? Like, there's some of these some of these aqueduct systems. The source, the water sources, were a hundred kilometers away, oh. and then they and it's all just gravity fed. There's no pumps or anything. They just have a gentle slope, and they're accounting for, you know, if it dips down into a valley. Because if it was a shallow enough valley, they could run the water down, 
And as long and depending on where it came back up, there was enough water pressure to push it back uphill. So they understood fluid dynamics and physics to the point where they knew, okay, in this valley, we can just have the water pressure push it through. But in this one, we actually have to build a bridge across, you know? Well, and again, um, I mean, there are, there are ac- ruins of aqueducts in China mm-hmm. and there are aqueducts in a couple other places. Actually, surprisingly, I was surprised to find that although they came from a more modern time, there were aqueduct systems in Mesoamerica uh, mm, in Central yeah. America as well, but it's uh, it's remarkable. Again, we don't think of sanitation and moving of water as a as a very sexy topic, but it literally involves engineering the motive the uh, movement of people. You have to motivate and organize and manage yeah. people. You have to have a vision. I mean, you have to have some kind of idea of what you want to achieve. The creativity behind creativity some of this too, like. and the need. I mean, they were all there to. To, to answer a need that they understood. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, Imperial Rome having roughly a million people more population, uh, you know, how much water? It would be interesting to compare how much on a per capita basis a modern city today goes through. I mean... Well, I, I can tell you that uh, the Roman aqueduct delivered roughly 1.5 million cubic yards of water every day. That's over 300 million gallons. It was roughly 200 gallons per person in the city of Rome. Really? 200 gallons per person in Rome. I wonder what our water usage is. <laughs> yeah, I tried to find some modern conte- modern contemporary numbers, but it was it was difficult to kind of get proper conversions. I think most of our audience is located probably in North America and, 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 and those who speak English and maybe Europe. But if you make a sort of a compare, and we, we've made it obvious, we, we're in Canada, uh... We live in a land of abundant water. Yes, I absolutely. Mean, is it three million lakes in Canada? Uh, so getting water is often just to stick a tube nearby lake and pull it out for a city. But oh man, that's quite remarkable. Yeah, and that I think and that's that number thing, that the Romans were were able to do, especially in in North America or modern civilization in general, where you know you you walk over and you turn a tap, and that's it. You have good clean drinking water. So the idea, and, and you know, like when you need to use the bathroom, you flush the toilet and it's gone and it's, it's out of your mind, right? So the, that's, the idea of sanitation being an interesting topic kind of gets overshadowed by the simplicity of it nowadays, or at least for day-to-day use. But when you think about it in a historical context, the fact that these civilizations were able to construct these projects and to, to organize people and to move people and to drive communities and to maintain these types of things for as long as they did, and as effectively as they did. It's it's mind-bogglingly impressive. Like, there were permanent engineers whose jobs were to maintain the Roman aqueduct system. There were, there were stations and there were cesspools built throughout the aqueduct system that were deliberately designed to collect contaminants in the water and that were regularly flushed out and changed over. Like, they, they had a very thorough understanding of water dynamics yeah, and, and most, what they needed. most... Uh water you know, that was not used ended up in the Tiber River yeah. and would just flow out into the into the Mediterranean. Mediterranean. Yeah. Um, you know, I think of our proximity. We, we are close to the Great Lakes and we think of, you know, I have some concerns that we have done a couple hundred years of pouring a lot of garbage mm. into the Great Lakes. They may be huge, but they're not, you know, endless. Yes. And how do we manage? And I do think that our 
decision-making policies in in both sides of the border in the different states and provinces and so on uh, are very seriously, uh, you know, we, we, the awareness is we must be careful about how we treat our water. Yeah. It's different. The Romans didn't have to worry about treating water. They didn't even have the conceptualization about that one. Yeah. And today our burden is sanitation is something we have to take that extra step. We yeah. have to make sure that our waste, and it's not just... It's you know, more than just getting rid of it. It's also chemicals. In yes. fact, new chemicals that are being created by industrial activities that don't deteriorate in the natural environment and pose threats. Yeah. Some of them we don't know yet what the threats are. The ancient peoples didn't have to deal with it. They just dealt with it in terms of a, a, a sanitation issue. And uh, remarkable, when you, you know, like I say, remarkable to see... The results and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I've got a couple other notes here. Um, I, I want to put a little shout out a little bit to the Chinese because oh, of course, sometimes yeah. some of these records, later records that come from uh, Chinese ancient writers, we, we have certainly insight. But the early activity is we're aware that even during the time before the unification under the first emperor, roughly 220 uh, B.C., there was a school of engineering, for yep. lack of a better word, established in China. Uh, it was in Liaozhou. And I know I'm not pronouncing it right, but <laughs> forgive me for that. Yeah. Uh, fascinating to find out that even during the conflicts times where the different uh, China had broke up to different groups, particularly between the Han and the Tang dynasties around the year 220 to 650 or so, uh, that engineers were actually a protected uh, 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 what do you social class. Oh, really? Well, it was hard to get them, and everybody wanted them, and that they could command a kind of deference hmm. because they would be uh, steeped in the knowledge of, of mathematics, and they would understand a number of uh, items. Now... Historians are pretty sure that in spite of even the Silk Road existing by then, that information and knowledge about how to build uh, seems to have not flowed from east to west and west to east particularly well. Uh, But we do have reports from uh, sort of Middle Eastern in-betweens that talked about the fact that there was this sort of idea of an organized school. And now we think that the Romans also, inspired by the idea of the Greek academy idea, were also ones to start establishing a kind of a systematic system of education for those that would take on that. I would speculate, how did they know who to pick? It was all boys, of course, (laughs) Uh, unfortunately. But how do you pick them? Did you do some sort of math test to see what they... Because that would be, I think, a fundamental skill set mm-hmm. of understanding the how numbers operate and work. Yeah. But the Roman numbering system really was a clumbersome. Th- it's it's nice when it comes to Super Bowls, <laughs> but <laughs> but it's not the easiest thing to work with oh, in geez. math. I get the twelve numbers on the clock, and after that, I'm done. That's and I right. studied this for four years. <laughs> so. But when the the numbering system that we currently have today, which we often call uh, um, Indo-Arabic numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's mainly because it came from the Middle East area, the in-betweens between the, the Silk Road. Uh, that system is what carried on. If you think about it, that 
addition to the knowledge base in both China, which uses it today, mm -hmm. and the uh, um, Arabic numerals, and the obviously the rest of the world, the whole world today uses Arabic numerals, yep. is because the elegantly simplicity and flexibility of that numbering system absolutely paramount to build anything yeah, of course. today. And uh, you think about that. So I, I'm always amazed at the fact that the Romans built all their stuff with a very clumsy number system. I never even thought of that, actually. That is a very good point. Like It, it never occurred to me that when they're marking down numbers for measurements or for angles and, and what have you, that it would be written in Roman numerals, yeah. which, as you said, is a very cumbersome system. They did have a kind of a short code. I would imagine the engineers a for it, yeah. would work, but it wasn't universally applied from the best of our knowledge. Uh, it was the Chinese with a writing system that had individual numbers yeah. that were part of it that that forged ahead and then they they their influence it wasn't that they had traveled all the way to Europe because you'd say it was the Arabs that really through, through their contact with the Persian and Indian context, were able to crystallize the number system. But that wasn't until after the year 1000. Yeah. So, yeah, more, and... More modern history at that point. And, of course, you need to understand the number zero. Yeah, that's true. And that yeah. didn't exist at that time in yeah. any... Society. Which is... It's so weird to wrap your head around the fact that the number zero did not exist. Ah, that was nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Before we wrap up, though, I, I wanted to share that quote from... Uh, so you mentioned the, the Romans bragging about their impressive aqueduct system. Yeah, they did a lot. There's, there's a quote from a Frontinus, who is a Roman civil engineer, uh, circa 2nd century. Uh, and he said that with such an array of indispensable structures carrying so much water... Compare, if you will, the idle pyramids or the useless, though famous, works of the Greeks. <laughs> so this, this idea that, oh yeah, this is impressive and pretty, but it's terribly impractical and useless, therefore ours is better. That's right. <laughs> that, like, that is the most Roman attitude I've that ever is read. A, oh yeah, that's a Roman <laughs> attitude. That's one of the reasons why we still admire them today. Yeah. And, you know, let's say the Italians today are no slouches when it comes to building. No. You know, many... I think I think Germany had a lot of influence from Roman engineers. Oh, they absolutely <laughs> did. That's the legacy we all benefit in a modern world is we can look back upon all these peoples and what they did and what they learned. Yeah. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this episode as we talk about uh, sanitation, yeah. the 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 straight poop. <laughs> <laughs> like you said, not not a terribly uh, glamorous topic, but there's there's a lot of really neat stuff in there. That's right. <laughs> well, we thank you again. We hope you enjoy it and check out our website and. Also, our social media contacts. Uh, thank you again for listening. I'm Gordon. And I'm Shane. And thank you for listening to another issue of Ancient Answers. Enjoy the day. Mm -hmm.